I am Doug Keck and welcome to The Catholic Sphere. Each week we tackle topics important to Catholics around the globe with a different host and a different focus. This week our subject is theology, the topic, the future of the priesthood. Today we are joined by EWTN's Vice President of Theology, Colin Donovan. He is in our theology studio. We have with us the host of Open Line Radio on Mondays, Father John Tregilio, known for the Web of Faith and the Catholic Blitz. And finally, we have the one and only EWTN radio host, Father Mitch Packer, and TV host. He's with us from his live show set right here in Irondale, Alabama. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Catholic Sphere. So our topic today is talking about the vocation of the priesthood. We're going to be doing another show on the vocation of the laity. Let me ask you, Father Mitch, as a priest, is the priesthood a higher calling than that of the laity as far as the church is concerned? It, it always has been. There is a special calling to the priesthood for the service of the whole church. And I think to put it in this context, the whole church has a priesthood that comes to it through baptism. When we are baptized into Jesus Christ, the priest, we are all recipients of the priesthood of all believers. This is very important. But as you see in Lumen Gentium, the Vatican II Constitution on the Church, paragraph uh, 11 especially, the ordained priesthood is of a different kind. It's not a more intense form of the priesthood of the laity or something like that. It is a different kind of priesthood, so much so that it makes it clear in that paragraph that all the people of God who share that priesthood of baptism offer themselves through the ordained priest at Mass that their offering comes through him. And I like to put it this way as an image to understand that, that the priesthood of baptism is like sunshine in the environment, and it is diffuse throughout the atmosphere. But when you take a magnifying glass, the magnifying glass, which is curved on its faces, refracts that light to a single point in order, and you can start a fire with that. You can start some kindling or a piece of paper, leaves, so on. And we priests are different the way the magnifying glass is different, and it's through us that the offering of all the other laity get focused on that one point at the holy altar when we offer the sacrifice of the Mass. That's what Vatican II is saying, and this is reflecting traditional understanding. That's what makes it higher. Now, each priest has to come to holiness within that vocation, but it is a higher type of vocation. Okay. Uh, Father John, let me ask you, you, you talk about a vocation uh, to the priesthood uh, in relation to an automobile. How so? Uh, well, uh, the vocation that each priest has and the seminarians I work with uh, at the seminary, uh, the vocation is like, uh, is like the vehicle 
and the spirituality is like the fuel, the gasoline. And we, we encourage all the seminarians, and I as a priest, and I know my uh, brother priest here, Father Mitch, uh, we have to cultivate a personal spirituality, but it's not just for our own sake, because as Father pointed out, uh, the priesthood exists for the church, it's for service in the church. So our spirituality as a priest isn't just so that I get to heaven, it to help me help others uh, on their road to heaven. Like Mother Angelica would say, we're all called to become great saints. Let me ask you, Colin, because uh, you as a layperson at this point in time, but was somebody early on who thought they had a vocation. How mm -hmm. is your vocation today different than what you thought it was going to be, or is it any different? Well, it is a different in kind, as Father Mitch was trying to point out. There is a distinction between what the role of the laity is in the world versus what the role of the priest is in the church. And uh, he, he picked uh, an image that uh, I think certainly works in explaining that focusing of, 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 of truth, of grace, and so on that comes through the priest. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a whole thread that runs through the Vatican documents and through church teaching uh, that really touches on all of this, and that is the idea that the church is in respect a sacrament of Christ himself. Christ was sent by the Father to the world, to the salvation of the world. Christ, uh, by sending the Holy Spirit, sends the church out into the world to be him in the world. We have the beautiful image of, of the mystical body of Christ. But it's not just to be something floating in the air, but it's supposed to be a visible sacrament of Christ in the world. And then you have the particularizations of that in the, in the seven sacraments and how each of those accomplish the, the work of Christ uh, in the world. But all of this means that there has to be this visible sign of Christ, and that's represented by, uh, in a particular way, by the successors of the apostles, that they are, in a way, the, the fullest sacramental, visible visible reality that re refers and directs us to a supernatural truth that we can't know except by faith. That's what a sacrament is. And so the church itself in the world is a sacrament of Christ. And then the, the bishops are a sacrament uh, in a particular way because they have the, the fullness of Christ's offices. And then the priests, as their assistants, do those sacramental things. All of this is necessary to give a, a supernatural order to the church that reflects the reality that we don't do this work of salvation. God does this work. And so we need representatives of God, ministerial priesthood, to represent him in the work that he continues to do in the spirit in the church. And so that's why what they do is quite different than what you and I do as lay people. We, you know, we organize this particular apostolate. We do things. We have knowledge in different spheres of, of activity, yours, media and technology, mind, theology, philosophy, and so on. And so that gives us a certain, a certain possibility of having a broader apostolate than just to our families, friends, colleagues, and so on. Uh, and so we're able to do that in the world in a way that the priest is not, who is focused on the church, as Father Mitch said, and, and growing up the holiness of the church to be an ever better representative of Christ as a sacrament in the world. Now, Father Mitch, you, you talk about priests necessarily have to live in the world. The church maintains a prohibition against certain involvements, at least in general, as you hear, like in politics and specifically in business. Why, why is that important to note? Yeah, because there are a couple things. First, if a priest were to get into politics or business, 
he would be a priest for a particular political party. And I am not a priest for the Democrats, for the Republicans, for the Socialists, or for the Independents, or for any other political affiliation. I am a priest of the Catholic Church, and I'm a priest for everybody. Once a priest engages in party politics as a candidate and such, that partisanship isolates him from his opponents, especially in a number of systems of politics where there is a lot of tension. Uh, I think that would apply in particular to contemporary uh, American politics, where there's a great deal of contention and even animosity, inability to speak at times. Uh, I have to be available to everybody. And that would be the same in business. If I am running my own chain of hamburger stands, then I might be more in competition with the other hamburger places. And as such, they may be less willing to come to me for confession, lest I use the, their work secrets right. in my well, business. Well, you'd be competing with Hamburger Heaven, probably, one of well, your that favorite, would be, favorite places gonna, to eat, as I, I recall. I wasn't going to name names, but yeah, that would be my main competition, Hamburger Heaven. There you Heaven. go. Now, uh, Father John, also to follow up on, on what Father Mitch just said, the idea of not seeing the priesthood as an individual enterprise because that shortchanges the people of God in general. Explain. Yes, uh, especially um, I as a parish priest, as Dawson priest, uh, but also for our, our religious priests like Father Mitch, um, we're not in this uh, individually like we're hermits um, because... We are at service for the whole church, so all the people of the parish, um, they depend on us. And the masses that we celebrate, the sacraments that we celebrate, uh, the preaching that we do, um, all the public ministry, it's not just for my benefit, it's for theirs. And so always reminding myself uh, is important, and that's what, uh, as brother priests, we do uh, likewise, is to remind our brothers that you know, we're in this not for ourselves, but for the people of God. And that's one of the things that is made very manifest when a priest is being uh, ordained uh, after the man is called uh, by the bishop to receive holy orders. Uh, the people then all say, thanks be to God. Uh, and many uh, dioceses, they actually applaud to show that, yes, uh, we... Um, we're happy that this guy is going to be of service, but again, it's not that I'm going up to my own little mountain like uh, some Buddhist monk and I'm just going to meditate uh, with my uh, sitting on the floor in a lotus position, but I'm going to be celebrating the sacraments for the people of God, and they come before myself, but I have to be the best that I am so that I can give them the best. Yeah, it's kind of why we, why we talk about the vocation really begins with Christ and really has to do with love. Now, just let me get back to you, Father, just on that since you, you're at a seminary. Uh, what is the, the view of the young men who are coming to you now in the seminary? What is driving their vocation? What, what is their focus? Well, interestingly enough, we, we saw an increase of vocations 
right after the the scandals hit hit at the, at the large level, and we thought we we're going to see a dip, but a lot of the men coming into the seminary uh, are stepping up to the plate, and they say we we saw too much of the bad aspects of priests who were out for themselves, whether they were involved in immoral activity or just selfishness. So they're up when they're in the seminary, and their pursuit of the priesthood is they want to be better than what they've seen before. Uh, they want to be very available to the people. They want to be approachable. Uh, they want to be accessible. Uh, they want to not just hide in their in their rectories. They certainly want to be in the, in the church and minister to sacraments, but they also want to be there uh, for the people so that when someone's dying, uh, when the, someone's having trouble in their marriage, or just the happy occasions of, of birthdays and uh, spending time with people, that they want to be engaged with their people, because they they saw the downside of when priests become uh, so uh, egotistical and they turn in on themselves. That's what gets them into trouble. But when they put the people first and realize that that's why they were ordained. So I, I think you know the fact that we're almost at capacity right now at our seminary and other seminaries as well are seeing an increase is a good sign that um, vocations are not just there. It's not a. I don't think it's a shortage of vocations. God's not, not calling enough people. It's that enough, not enough fellows are responding to that call. Let me ask you, Father Mitch, why would you think uh, there are fewer people responding in your estimation? There are a number of problems that the, the vocation to the priesthood is merely a part of. In the culture at large, fewer than half of adults are married. And in fact, now a slight majority of children are born to unmarried people. The reason I bring that up is it shows that in our culture, people find it difficult to make a commitment to the vocation of marriage where they are unwilling to commit themselves to a particular man and woman with whom they are having children or may not be having children. Given that most natural relationship, having a vocation crisis on a serious level, and then even among the under half that do get married, there's still a significant divorce rate. This indicates to me that the culture finds it difficult to make any kind of commitment. People, I, I think, it's not necessarily out of selfishness. I, 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 there may be some elements of that. But I think it's out of a fear of failure at the vocation. And that rather than fail, they don't even try. And that is, a, a, I think, an issue with the priesthood. Secondly, celibacy is a very difficult issue for those in the Roman Rite. Now, I, I think we have to keep in mind, even among the non-Catholic churches that, that do have married clergy, they also are having tremendous problems in finding vocations that they can marry. And in some churches, they even allow 
people with same-sex attraction, people who have had so-called gay marriages, all that, and they still don't have enough ministers. And in fact, when they go to those other solutions, such as ordaining those who are in gay marriages, they split their churches apart. And people, so those are not solutions. And the inability to find enough vocations among many of the Protestant denominations is a problem of the same order. People find it hard to make a commitment to, eat, to any vocation, whether it's holy matrimony or to the priesthood or religious life. And that's the crisis we're dealing with in our unstable society. Well, let me ask you, Colin, obviously, because uh, you, 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 there's, there's orders and obviously the vocation of holy matrimony, which you, you've participated in. But somebody might say, well, Colin, you've got all this theological training. <laughs> I mean, uh, you've got a nice position here, but uh, shouldn't you be a deacon or something? I mean, why wouldn't you uh, get holy orders? Because uh, that would give you a more important position inside the church and your words would have more meaning. No? Well, there's probably a lot of truth in that. Uh, the diaconate is not the same as the, as, as the priesthood, whether it's possessed by the priest simply or by the bishop uh, in its fullness. So there's really, you know, it's, a, it's an office of charity, an office of, of service, and certainly that uh, we, have in, we have in the church many, uh, many married deacons, permanent deacons who, who actually serve the church in dis different capacities. We have uh, uh, two here, now three actually, uh, at the network. So that's, that's certainly a path to go. Uh, I, I think the question that is really raised in what both Father Mitch and Father John have said, and that is, that there's a really crisis in the culture and in society as well, not only regarding being able to see something as part of your future for the rest of your life, whether marriage or priesthood, uh, but also in the very nature of these realities as well. Uh, I think both uh, Father John and Father Mitch described a very important element of all of this, and that is the paternity of the priest, the fatherhood of the priest. You know, Christ said when asked, show us the Father, he said, when you see me, you see the Father. The church could say, when you see me, you see Christ, and if you see Christ, you see the Father. Catholics have no difficulty calling our priests Father because we know that they are representing to us the fatherhood of God in the supernatural order. And so the priest must be dedicated to that work in the same way that I need to be dedicated to providing for my family and raising my children and do all of that. So I think there's a lot of cultural issues here of commitment as well as an understanding of, of these kinds of realities uh, that is a burden on marital vocations, diaconal vocations, and uh, priestly vocations, and certainly on religious uh, vocations to religious institutes. And I don't know that can be simply solved, but it, it's, it's certainly part of the equation, this, this lack of confidence in the idea of the implications of being a father, and even the necessity of it. I think some ask today whether we really need fathers, and that's that's sad for the culture and it's sad for the church. Right. To follow up on that, would you also think that part of the thing is with the smaller families, when you had much larger families, there obviously was more, a greater opportunity, A, to have somebody who had a vocation, and even B, for a family to be that much more open to support that vocation? Very definitely, because I think it's a tradition in many large families, whether Italian or Irish or whatever, you know, 
one of the fa one of the boys is going to become a priest and one of the girls is going to become a religious. Uh, that's not so clear today, although when you see the large Catholic families, that very often is still the case because, you know, it's the natural desire of parents to see at least one of them, their children give back to the church or even two uh, in this way. When you have only one or two child, that's a hard thing to commit to on the part of the, of the parents, uh, not just the children that would be those, uh, take those vocations. Right. So, Father John, you, you talk about the idea of the priesthood. You talked about being involved in the parish and the young guys, and obviously the importance of prayer. But it seems to be you end up with a parish maybe with one priest, maybe, maybe there's two, and they have so many things going on that, uh, you know, there seems to be, is there a conflict between a priest trying to have that prayer life and the divine office and yet trying to be available to his parishioners as often as they need him? Yes, that's one of the things that the guys uh, find out first off when they enter the seminary and they start to build up a, a spirituality, a prayer life. And, uh, and as I've seen myself in 35 years of priesthood, there is a little bit of a tension, but it's a good tension, just like you know, uh, you as a, as a married man or a, uh, as, as a father with your children, there's always going to be a little give and take, but it's, you are an effective father, an effective uh, husband, um, when you put your spouse first and your family first, and the same with the priests, that our prayer life is the bedrock upon which we can serve our people. So if the priest has no prayer life, he's not going to be an effective priest. And it's not either or. It's like Pope Benedict always said, it's both and. We need to be prayerful priests, and we also need to be compassionate priests who love their people. Father Mitch, would you say it's fair to say the church esteems celibacy greater than marriage? Yes, in you know, with be basing that on our Lord's teaching about celibacy in the Gospel of St. Matthew chapter 19, when he talks about uh, some uh, are called to be eunuchs for the kingdom of God, not by nature, not by man effect, you know, doing surgery, but rather by, uh, you know, for the kingdom of God. And blessed is he who can accept that. Not only does he teach that, he lived it out. He lived a celibate life. And uh, we see St. Paul doing the same. Not all the apostles. Peter certainly was married. You don't get a mother-in-law without having a wife. <laughs> and that's part of life. But, uh, and some of the others, St. Jude was certainly married because we come across his grandchildren later on in church history uh, in the second century. So, so yeah, the, the number of them were married, but uh, St. Uh, Paul was not, uh, Jesus our Lord wasn't. And this gets at something that Colin talked about, that we see, uh, when I was in seminary, I don't know if Father Tregilio can relate to this, but we were not ever taught that the priest acts in persona Christi. That is, he acts in the person of Christ. This is something that is not only found in St. Paul in the second letter to the Corinthians when he says, I act in the person of Christ. A lot of times they'll say in the, the place of Christ and so on, but it's in the person of Christ. 
And then seven times the Vatican Council mentions that in the, the document on the liturgy, Sacrosanctum Concilium, on the priesthood, on the bishops, and uh, three times in Lumen Gentium. So this is important because it brings out something related to Colin's earlier point. Christ was celibate because his bride is the church, and he loves the church as a bride. And we priests who act in the person of Christ also have to love the church as our bride. And that there is, to complement Colin's point about us priests being fathers, something that St. Paul insisted on in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, you have 10,000 chief teachers but only one father in Christ. I am the one who became your father in preaching the gospel. But that is complemented by being bridegrooms of the church and loving the church as a groom. And our celibacy is in service of that commitment so that I can be available for my bride. And like you, Doug, and, and Colin know, your children don't get sick on your schedule. Whenever they're sick, you have to go. Middle of the night, they're, they're up and crying. You have to be there. We have to be there for the people of God, and we have to be there for our church. The church is not our employer. The church is our bride. In the closing two minutes, I'm going to ask each of you if you wanted to say something to somebody who might be watching this program who's thinking they may have a vocation to the priesthood. I'll start with you, Father John. Well, first of all, um, I would suggest that you get a spiritual director or speak to your confessor on a regular basis, um, possibly speak to your pastor uh, or the parochial vicar there, and um, visit the seminary. We have uh, at our seminary what they call Covadis uh, days, uh, where uh, young men come to visit the seminary just to see what it's like. But certainly, you have to ask be prayer. You have to have daily prayer. Ask the Lord to open your heart to what vocation He's calling you to. And if He's calling you to the priesthood, then you have to give yourself completely and totally to that. And as Father Mitch said, uh, you know, it, this is your spouse. Like Pastoros Dabovobis made it clear, uh, you know, we're committed totally, completely uh, to our spouse, Holy Mother Church. Father Mitch. I, I couldn't do more than underline that. Seek what St. Ignatius calls a, a certain disponibility, that is, an equal mindedness towards whatever God wants. Pray for the freedom to say, Lord, whatever you want, that's what I want. That will make clear your vocation. Colin, you've got about 35 seconds to wrap <laughs> things up. Go ahead. Oh, I love the challenge. Uh, I, I could only point to the man that I think has been the quintessential example of all of this, Pope John Paul II, who wrote so beautifully about total self-gift in celibacy and in marriage, especially in Familiaris Consortio, uh, but who exemplified that in his life, that he gave the totality of himself and even those last years when he could hardly move and talk 
he gave this expenditure of himself on behalf of his bride, the church. A beautiful model for husbands, and, but especially for priests. Amen. Thank you so much, Colin B. Donovan, Father John Tregilio, and our good friend, Father Mitch Paqua, SJ, for being with us today, of course. And thank you, as always, for joining us. Don't forget to join us next week with our host, Ryan Penny, right here on The Catholic Sphere.